what God wants to say to us through the amazing Devald. Thank you. Lord, we just thank you for Devald. Thank you for his obedience, his faithfulness, his love for you. Father, thank you that he hears your voice clearly and he's not afraid to say what you want him to say. So we look forward to hearing what you've got to say, Lord. Bless him. Fill him with your presence and let it overflow, Father, that we may receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. If I haven't said morning, praise God. Lord, we pray that your word will accomplish everything you sent it forth to do in our hearts and minds, in the community, in our families. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, I, uh, I shared at another church last weekend. And my son, Michal, yeah, he came once. I think you guys met, some of you met him. And um, he came. (laughs) I started the the message. It was a real strong message, rise up and and get going. And I was just, you know. And he said he was so embarrassed. He said he sat there for the first 20 minutes and he's like, oh, no, no. You know, I'm just, and I said, I can't, if that's what God has given me, that's what I got to share. Um, but in the end, he said it ended all right. So, um, yeah, so it's just interesting. Julie praying that prayer. So, um, uh, being Christmas, or what, not yet Christmas, Christmas, but you know, almost there, um, I'm going to start with one of my ending verses. Is that okay? So, I'm going to read this verse so that we get sort of the Christmas spirit. And then I'll share the message, which has nothing to do with Christmas. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and on. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. That we might receive adoption to sonship and daughterhood. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God also made you an heir. But when... The set time had fully come. And that's really the topic of my message today. The opportune time of God. In ministry and in general life, my personal battle is often God's timing. I've, I've said this many times. Uh, when I go to heaven... I know we're not allowed to take anything with us, but I'm going to be allowed to take a watch. Because God's timing is really not nice. (laughs) I want to show him, you know, he doesn't have a watch according to my watch. His time just doesn't run according to my timing. So I want to take my watch with me and say, did you know we invented this, Lord? (laughs) You know, in ministry especially, and in personal life, when we have promises from God and it doesn't seem to happen or we have a word from the Lord and it doesn't seem to happen. And The timing of God just sometimes is out of whack. Let's be honest. 
Or maybe I'm out of whack. I don't know. And this challenge that we face is what I want to talk about today. The opportune time of God. God's appointed time. God's appointed time. Now, there's, I mean, I can use any example in the Bible, but I especially was drawn to Nehemiah. Who know of Nehemiah? Can I just make sure? Because I've heard a, a term this week, praise God, we're not in a post-Christian church. We are in a, <laughs> we all know Nehemiah. You've heard of Nehemiah. So, you know, in his ministry and life, we, we find these treasures relating to, to, to God's appointed time. Um. I'm just quickly going to give you a background. So, Jerusalem, Babylonians come, invade Jerusalem, takes most of Israelites captive, take them into exile back to Babylon and all over Persia. But in doing so, they have broken through the walls of Jerusalem. So, the, the walls of Jerusalem are lying in ruin. Okay, So, there's gaps in it. The gates are burned. This happened in 538 BC. Not that that's important. But then for 50 years the Israelites are in exile. They're basically oppressed. Um, And then in 538 BC we find the first exiles returned to Jerusalem. When they got to Jerusalem, what did they do? They rebuilt the altar of the Lord. Now imagine this. They're coming in. Walking through the walls that's broken down, the city lies in ruins. The first thing they do is rebuild the altar of the Lord. It's really important, isn't it? Why? Because that's the presence. That's the seat. That's where God's presence rests. They also laid the foundation of the temple. So they they did what was important and they did what was a priority on their hearts. Yet they did not rebuild the walls, which I find interesting because... They, they built the altar in Jerusalem, which was occupied by the enemy at that stage, knowing the enemy would not allow them to rebuild the altar. The enemy would surely not allow them to rebuild the temple because they feared the God of the Israelites. They would not allow them to rebuild the walls either. But they built the altar, they laid the foundations for the temple while the walls are in ruin. In other words, the enemy can come in any time of day or night and just break down what they built up again. Yet they don't rebuild it. The second group of exiles returned in 458 BC. So we're about 100 years on now, right? They return and they start to build in the temple of God. They started rebuilding the temple, but specifically with the covenants of God. So, So we find that they focus on the covenant of God. And during this time is when Nehemiah comes into the story. Nehemiah. In 445, he comes into Jerusalem. All right, so we're going to pick the story up from there. Who's Nehemiah? Nehemiah is a man who cried over a broken wall. That's basically, I love that description of him. He cried over a broken wall. Well, not really over the wall, but let's catch Nehemiah chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 2 to 4. And please forgive me for these pronunciations. I have no, I, I, I don't know how to pronounce them, so I'm just making it up as I go along. Hanani, 
one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. The exiles returning to Jerusalem. So now he gets a report back from Hanani. And the first thing he says, how did those who survived the trip, how are they doing? So in other words, going back to Jerusalem wasn't just, you know, let's go to the airplane and we land and we're safe. They died on their way back to Jerusalem. He says, so how are they doing? How are the exiles doing? And also about Jerusalem. And he says, so how are the exiles doing? And how's the city? What does it look like? Something must have happened. You know, it's been 142 years since we left. What does the city look like? He said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The people of God are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. The gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah hears about his people that's in danger, in disgrace, and he weeps. Why? Because the walls are still down. What does that mean? It means there's no defense. This calling, this unction of the Holy Spirit, this passion that comes from God, I call it the navigation system, the GPS system of Holy Spirit in us. Have you ever had anything that you hear the news about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven or something of God? Or, or you, you, you may walk down the street and, and see something or hear something and it just breaks your heart. Have you ever had that experience where you just cannot stand by and it's just this unction of Holy Spirit inside of you? See, that's God, that's Holy Spirit guiding you into what he wants from you, what he wants of you, why he has created you. You see, I can walk past the beggar and not look twice. But there are other people who cannot do that. When they see the beggar, they have to give him or her money or they have to sit with him and they have to talk to them and have to pray with them. Am I right? Different people. My heart doesn't break for that. But there are people whose hearts break for that. I have what God has put on my heart. That my heart is breaking for. Now, I'm going to talk a few things here. To be honest with you, I I hope I can get through this, as always. The first thing is, we have to identify the things of God which stirs my heart the most. We have to prioritize The things of God that stirs you the most. A lot of things stir my heart. The beggar stirs my heart. Year 11 kids, how old old would they be? Yeah. 15. Not knowing who Jesus is in England. Breaks my heart. 
But I have to figure out which one of these things pulls the hardest, breaks the most. For which one of these do I weep days on end? Which one of these things drive me to the throne of God and say, Lord, I cannot live with this. We have to prioritize. You have to find out what is the priority of God for you. There's so much need around us that if we do not prioritize, we will be inefficient. Is that a word? In, in all those areas. Does that make sense? You will have too many irons in the fire in the old days. <laughs> you see, this is not merely a feeling of sadness. It is not just a burden to do something. Nehemiah was overcome with grief and sadness. For what? For the people of God. This wasn't just a, oh, shame. It wasn't just, oh, I hope they can fix it. I hope they can do something about it. What Nehemiah tapped into was the heart of God. People, there's a difference. There's a lot of God things going on. I've been in ministry 25 years. I did a lot of God things. Did a lot of good things. I did more good things. I did a few God things. But there were those specific moments and things where it was the heart of God that I got involved with. It had nothing to do with me. It was his heartbeat. And that's what Nehemiah felt. It was God's heart, God's broken heart for his people who were in danger, broken down. God's heart that Nehemiah felt. Does that make sense? If if you're awake, just do this. If you agree, do this. If you don't agree, do this. Okay. Nehemiah didn't just have a compassion. He didn't just feel a stirring. No. He, he absolutely felt the heartbeat of God for God's people. Your calling, your purpose, your ministry in the kingdom of God will stir you to the point of being in chains for the gospel. Listen to how Paul writes in, in Romans 1. Romans 1, chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, verse 1 to 7. Okay, I'm going to read this because you need to hear this. He says, I, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus, a slave of Jesus, captured for Jesus, in chains for Jesus. Now, we know that this has dual meaning because Paul actually were in chains. He was, a, he was captive. He was taken to Rome. In chains, right? He was a prisoner. So we know it has dual meaning. But he says, I am a bond servant of Jesus, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scripture, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, declared the Son of God, with power according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. What a mouthful. But do you hear how he describes his passion? His vision. I can't do it because I don't have that passion. 
And even if I had the passion, I don't have the heart of God for that. This is the heart of God. Paul tapped into the heart of God and he was expressing that. Verse 5. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. It's the heart of God. Not Paul. It's the heartbeat of God. Paul was able to tap into the innermost secret passion of God's heart and his writing. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Now he says, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God. Well, hang on a second. Weren't the Romans the one who crucified him? Not him, Jesus. Not Paul. (laughs) He says, you Rome, beloved of God. How can you say that as a man? No, only if you have the heartbeat of God can you make that statement. Called to be saints. (laughs) The guy's nuts. He's he's saying, you Romans, you, you are the beloved of God. And you are called to be saints. They were a heathen bunch at that stage. They murder as far as they go. They take countries at their own wish. He says, you are loved of God and you are called to be saints. How was he able to reach that level of understanding and insight and vision? The only way is he tapped into the heartbeat of God. The hidden passions of the heart of God. The secret things in the heart of God. The heartbeat of God will compel The heart of man, the heart of his servant, to tune to that of God. When you hear the heartbeat of God, it tunes your heart. You know the old FM, I mean nowadays it's all buttons, but I'm sure some of you in here can remember when we had those. We had a blaupunk. A blaupunk was a very smart thing in South Africa. And it had this big old dial. Man, it was so smooth. And, you know, it went from the FM station. That's what God does with your heart. When you tap into his heart. When you are in that place. When you sit in worship. You tap into the heart of God. He turns your heart and he tunes it in with his heartbeat. And your heart beats with the heartbeat of God for a specific issue. For a specific God thing. And you know what happens? You fall on your knees before the throne of God. You come to the feet of the throne. You come to the feet of God. When God tunes Nehemiah's heart to his own heartbeat for his people, Nehemiah spends days in fasting and praying. The inspiration of the Holy Spirit regarding this issue compels the obedient servant of God to spend time with God for that issue. If you have a vision that doesn't drive you to prayer, find another one. I'm serious. 
And I'm not here to break anything down. I, I hope this is encouraging. I'm trying to be more encouraging in my sermons. Find something that, that, that makes you come to the throne of God in tears. I remember when I first went to the Far East. I couldn't go out in the street without weeping. Because all I could see was people going to hell. It compels you to spend time with God at the feet of the throne. To hear God share his heart with you. Guys, this is an inner chamber moment. This is a closet moment. You, 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 do you know what I'm talking about? The closet moment, you know, go into your prayer closet. The secret chamber of God, the holy of holies behind the curtain. That's what I'm talking about. There's this place where you enter in, into this intimacy with God. Like a husband and wife in the bedroom chamber. Where you enter into this place where God shares with you his secrets. And he shares with Nehemiah. My heart is broken. My people are afraid. They've, they've rebuilt the altar. They've laid the foundations for the temple. They're struggling, Nehemiah. They're afraid. Every time opposition comes, they stop working, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah goes, this can't be. This is God's people. How does this work? Hallelujah. When we tap into the heartbeat of God, when we allow Holy Spirit to tune our heart, to the heart of God. The follower of Jesus will become enthused, inspired, motivated, compelled to hear from God and act on it. So it's no longer an oh shame moment. It's how do I change this? What do I do to change this? Now you've moved into a place where Hearing from God, getting God's guidance, getting God's ideas becomes an absolute necessity. It's not a privilege anymore. We are so privileged where we live, the age we're living, the place we're living, the day we're living. This time, we're so privileged because any time, any moment, anywhere, you can close your eyes or not. And connect with Holy Spirit. Nobody's going to come and chop your head off. Nobody's going to kill you. Yet how often do we do that? But this. This is different. This is a place where if you don't hear from God. You die. If you don't hear from God. Lord how do we change this? You don't sleep at night. You lose sleep over this. You lose your appetite because you haven't heard from God. Because you haven't seen the solution. You don't know what to do. And until you know, you fast and you pray and you fight. <laughs> until your hip goes out. <laughs> That's another sermon. But I pray God will give you what's in my heart this morning. I don't know how to express this. 
So it doesn't become a habit anymore. It's not just, okay, I get up at six in the morning. I'm going to spend half an hour in prayer. And then I'm going to spend half an hour Bible study. Hallelujah, I'm a good Christian. Holy, holy I am. It's not that. You, you don't have a choice. You become a bond servant. You become chained up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, 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 like, you, you don't have a choice. Holy Spirit just leads you. And you have to do certain things. And you have to get involved in certain things. And all of these things scares you because they're bigger than you. It's, it's way out of your comfort zone. How does this work? The time with God now becomes food to my spirit. If I don't do it, my spirit dies. And this, this is where my heartbeat lies. Because I see too many men and women, powerful men and women, anointed men and women, who've lost their appetite. They died inside because they couldn't get the food for the spirit they needed. They couldn't get the spiritual food they needed for whatever reason. That's not your problem, that's mine. One of the things we have to ask, so you have to prioritize this calling, you have to prioritize this anointing, this vision, you have to spend time at the feet of Jesus, etc. But one of the things is, you have to ask, was Nehemiah the right guy for the job? 142 years, three exile, you know, three um, returns, what do you call that, Exiles coming back to Jerusalem, and yet the wall is not rebuilt. Why Nehemiah? Was he the right guy for the job? Well, Nehemiah was a man of deep spiritual maturity. And I can't, because for time, for time's sake, am I supposed to finish now? No, no, she doesn't have a watch. Oh, you do. Have, that, that watch is so blingy. I thought it's all diamonds, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not going to go into the detail. Go and study Nehemiah. But Nehemiah was a man of deep spiritual maturity. He understood how to get his flesh under control. He understood where to get the answers from. Prayer, fasting. Not only that, when, when he goes out into, the, um, into Jerusalem, he knew how to guard the vision of God. Now, this is something that sounds strange. There's a point in a time where you release your vision, but there's a point in a time when you hold back your vision. Jesus healed some people and he said, don't tell anybody what happened here. Don't go and tell them what happened. But then at other times, now tell the world. He anoints people to go and spread. So there's a time you have to guard this vision from God. There's the calling of God, the ministry, the vision. There's a time when you have to proclaim it. Nehemiah knew the difference. Okay, That shows his maturity. It showed his spiritual understanding. Also, Nehemiah was not a man of great ego. It wasn't about him. He faced the king. He said, I was, I was very afraid because he came with a sad countenance into the king's presence. You think you and I have suffering? <laughs> Come on. This guy lived on the edge. If he wasn't happy in the king's presence, he could be beheaded. When we read Nehemiah, the memoirs of Nehemiah, we see he was a man of great faith. There's no disputing that. He had great leadership skills. Amazing. This guy goes out 
on his donkey or colt or horse, whatever he had, and he struggles around at night in the dark around the wall of Jerusalem, you know, couldn't get through here, couldn't get through there, in the end went back to where he came from. Goes to the people, calls the elders together and says, right, I'm here to rebuild the wall. Who's with me? And he tells them, I have a letter from the king. I have this, I have that. And he says this, he says, in God's favor. Who's with me? Oh, hello, you're not the first guy trying this, dude. <laughs> there's been plenty before you. In fact, there's another guy in here, Ezra. He's trying his best and failing at it as well. <laughs> and you know what they say? Let's start building. <laughs> it's just like, what? Wait, hang on, why? So the question is, was Nehemiah the right man? Yes, he was the right man for the job. Amen? My question has to be, am I the right person for the job? Because here is the key. The reason I have to ask that is, am I the right person? Is because it's about my character rather than what I can accomplish. God is interested in you, not what you can do for him. Yes, he wants you to do what he wants you to do. That doesn't diminish any of that. But in that process, you are still the key. You are still his focus. So am I the right person for the job? And I look at the job God has put out and I say, Lord, I don't have faith. I'm talking about my personal self now. I don't dare. There was a time. You know, there was a time when I loaded a, you know, a wife, a what, two-year-old baby, and 200 US dollar in my pocket, and I flew to another country where I couldn't speak the language. No problem. Let's go. Gave up job, sold my house, everything. And Angelina and I had this conversation yesterday or the day before. Are we willing to do that again? And I said, I can't. So I have to ask myself, am I the right man at this moment in time for the job that I see? No. Because I'm not in that place of faith. We have to be honest with ourselves. Know yourself. And that's the beauty of being in that heartbeat of God. When your heart starts beating with him, now things like this pop up. Work on your faith. What is it you fear most? You fear poverty. You fear shame. You fear failure. You understand? So it's at that place where these things come to you and you're like, Whoa, okay, maybe I need to. Because still, God is concerned about me. In the task, he's still concerned about me. Am I the right person for the job? Then, was Nehemiah the right person for the job? Yes. Was he the right person for the job at the right time? We, 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 we have to understand, timing is everything. Do you agree? If you've lived more than 25 years, you'll agree with me. Timing is everything. You can be in the right place at the wrong time and nothing happens. You can be at the right time in the wrong place and nothing happens. You have to be at the right time at the right place for something to happen. Amen. Was Nehemiah that guy at the right time? Now, 142 years since the walls were broken, destroyed. 142 years. Was God not interested in the walls for 142 years? Did he not care about the walls? 
I believe he did. He did care about his people. That's why he allowed the Babylonians to come in and destroy the walls. Because they refused to obey him. He said, and, and if you read Nehemiah, he said, God, I repent for my people because you told us if we submit to you, if we obey you, if we follow your commands, you will bless us. If we don't, you're going to put us in exile. Here we are. Please forgive us. So God was interested. He did not abandon his people. There's a few elements we have to look at. Why it took so long, practical things, why it took this long for the walls to be rebuilt. Why at that time did Nehemiah do it and not anybody before him? Well, the first is there's consequence to sin. You're going to have to bear the consequence of your sin. Okay? Yeah, you understand what I'm saying. Israelites disobeyed God 50 years, boom, in oppression. They couldn't move out. They couldn't go back. So that's 50 years gone of the 140 years. The Israelites had enemies, the, the Persian kings, and they were so afraid of the Israelites. They would not allow them to, to, to lay one brick on that wall. They will attack them. And we, we see that in Ezra, read the book of Ezra, read the book of Nehemiah. We see that every time they came together to put a brick up, to try and get the people together, somebody was there. No, 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 you can't do this. So these are practical things that affected rebuilding the wall, right? Um, God needed the right person. <laughs> and I'm sure he... He sent a few men that when the dangers came, they ran away. They didn't have the bravery Nehemiah did, which we see him going into the king's presence. It's interesting. You know, he says, the king asked me, why are you so sad? He says, I was so afraid. And then I told him, but I prayed. And then I told the king. And then the king said to me, so what are we going to do about this? He says, and then I prayed. And then I said to the king, I want to go back to my people if you will allow me. King said, all right, I'll let you go, but I need a date and time when you will be back. And then he says, yeah, but when I go, can I take some wood to rebuild the gates? <laughs> uh, no, do you not, Nehemiah, this is a Persian king. He's your enemy of the Israelites. He will never allow you to rebuild the walls. He needed the right person for the job. He needed, God's miraculous intervention was needed. Why? Because the resources to rebuild it, right? And we see that miraculous intervention of God. And the final thing, the timing, God's timing. The right time for the right person to achieve the perfect outcome. 142 years, it couldn't have been done. Couldn't do it. Right person, right time, perfect outcome. The walls are rebuilt. You must wait with perseverance and endurance for the opportune time. What am I talking about? And now I'm starting. This was all introduction. No. <laughs> There's two elements to timing. Just quickly that you understand. The Bible view of timing or the Greek view of timing. There's two, two types of timing if you want to call it that. The one is the word chronos which is how we see time. 
date, time, right? So specific date, specific time, according to the sun and the moon and the stars and everything else. That's how we see it, Kronos, specific time, date, place. But there's also, so, so if you, that's what happens in Galatians 4 verse 4 that I read when we started. At the set time, Jesus was born. Specific time, a date, Jesus was born. But then we have the Kairos time. Kairos time is, is, is more of a, a, a space in time. It's a moment in time. There's no specific date to it. There's no specific time to it. It's an event. It's a moment. And that's how God sees time. Because God looks at time very different than you and I. And, and I can go into it, but I won't. But God doesn't see time as in linear past, present, future. The past, the present, and the future all exists in one place for God, the Kronos time. So God doesn't see 142 years that has gone by. God sees a people, a nation that needs to be saved. He sees a people, a nation that needs to be brought out of um, 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 captivity into freedom. And he sees a man, Nehemiah, who is the man he needs, who has the, 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 the characteristics he needs. And then he says, now I have a king in place who will provide for that. All of this comes together in that Kairos moment. The opportune time of God. It all works together in that moment and time. And this is what we find in Mark 1 verse 15. The time has come, said the Lord. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. Not the chronos, not the time and date, but the time, the moment, past, present, future, all together in this moment, the time has come. The opportune time of God is profound and a recurring theme in the Bible. You know, as Angelina and I drove in through, I don't know how we came in, just followed my GPS. I'm going to be very honest with you. Please forgive me for being honest. It's much easier to lie. I looked at and I said, man, this place, I, I don't want to live here. The houses, the, 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 the condition, the spirit. There's a depression. There's a darkness. And you see, this is where Angelina and my heart gets ripped apart. There's, God's heart is bleeding for his creation that's not human anymore. That's not what God created us for. He didn't create us to live like this. I'm driving by the broken walls of Slough. And I'm looking at all this. Is your heart breaking for the broken walls of Slough? Is your heart breaking for when you walk out? Is your, are you weeping for a woman I walked by at, at, you know, at the entrance? Is your heart breaking? Are you weeping for your neighbor? For that lady, the beautiful woman, lovely. What a spirit on her. And I know what's happening. I know what's happening. It happened with Nehemiah. It happened with Ezra. It happened throughout the book of 
Kings and Chronicles. Some of us are looking and saying, it couldn't have been done. Look where we are. Humanity is destroyed. Slough is destroyed. The walls are down. It cannot be done. The enemy is winning. Who do you think you are to rebuild it? Who do you think? Do you know there's churches much bigger than you? Don't you know there's churches with 300 people, 500 people meeting this morning? Who do you think you are, Nehemiah? Coming in here with your donkey in the middle of the night. (laughs) The right person at the right time. Now. Now is this time. There's this opportune time. There's this, this Kairos moment that God has created for you as a church in this place. But you need to step into it. You need to be brave and bold and step into it. You need to face the oppressor. You need to face the Persian king. You need to face the enemies. Read Nehemiah if you haven't. It's a beautiful story. I mean, at one stage, they had to say to half of the workers, okay, you, you stand guard and have spears because they're going to attack us for sure. The other half, you build. You keep building. You don't stop building. Even if you hear the enemy, you keep building because somebody else will defend you. It's time that the intercessors start to defend those who have to build the wall. The broken walls of slough around us. God has placed you right here in the midst of it for a time such as this. Does this make sense? The timing of God, the opportune time of God, transcends human understanding and expectations. Isn't it? But Lord, if if only you can do it by Friday, then all will be well. You know, I tell you, I had to move homes. because When I first came to England, I worked for a very big church, organization, denomination. And a year later, I, I, I couldn't do it anymore because what they expected and what was reality was just so far removed. And I said, I have to resign. So I resigned. So they said, well, you have to move out of the house. You, you, you know, first of all, the church is renting the house, so you have to move out. Secondly, you don't have a salary anymore, so you can't afford the house. And I remember it so clear, sitting on the front steps of that house that I just moved out of, all my belongings in a truck, and I had nowhere to go. Two little kids, oblivious, running around, playing, throwing stuff around. I'm sitting there, trying not to cry, My then wife, I can't remember, I can't even think where she was. She must, I mean, can you imagine that? Lord, where are you? Because nobody wanted to sign as a guarantor for us for for another house. Nobody. I couldn't find anybody. So we were stuck. We had a house. We could move in immediately. If I can find somebody to sign as guarantor. I was homeless. Where is your timing, Lord? You see, telling you, I'm taking my watch with me. (laughs) By the grace of God, a gentleman stepped up from the church I just resigned from. And he said, this isn't God. This is not how we treat. This is not love. And he signed for it. 
and he paid the deposit and the first month's rent. That's how God works. But it, 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 it's not according to my expectation. I wanted God to give me that security a month ago when I told him I'm moving out the end of the month. Does this make sense? I mean, or, or at least two weeks before I had to move. Or at least a week, maybe a day before I had to move out. It would have been nice to know I have a house to move into. But to sit for a couple of hours, homeless, in a foreign country where I can hardly speak the language, that's not fun. That's not comfortable. That's not security. God's timing doesn't work according to my expectation. In the ministry and in our vision and when we have the heartbeat of God, we often want to make things happen. And Lord, if it can only happen, Lord, if you give us the money now, we can do that. Lord, if you give us the people now, we can do that. Lord, if you open the doors for this, that can happen. And it doesn't happen according to our expectation. God's opportune time, God's appointed time, God's kairos works according to God's plan, God's will, for God's purposes, not yours. That's why it's so important that you connect with the heart of God and not just the things of God. Because you need to know that it's for God's plan, God's purposes, God's way, God's plan, God's way for God's purposes, not yours. It's a hard place to be in. It's not an easy job. God's opportune time does not align with my human expectation or timeline. Remember this verse, 2 Peter 3 verse 9. 2 Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. As some of you, as some understand slowness. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some of you understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. What? Wait, no, hang on a minute. So you saying, Lord, I sat on that stairs, homeless for a few hours, Because you were patient with me. I was patient with you, Lord. You you understand what I'm saying? I mean, you were late, God, not me. I knew I had to move out on that day a month before. You were late. (laughs) But the Bible says he's not slow in keeping his promises as some of you think he does. No, he's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish. Not wanting anyone to perish. If you don't come in line with the kairos timing of God, with the opportune moments of God, you are at risk of perishing. As I was. Because I can tell you, when you're in that place, it's hard not to be offended by God. It's hard not to build up resentment against God. but for everyone to come to repentance and have eternal life. The the concept of God's opportune time invites us to trust in His wisdom and His sovereignty. Is that the right way to say it? Sovereignty. (laughs) I don't like it. Guys, I tell you now, I don't like what I'm sharing with you. I'm talking to myself as much as anybody. I don't like it. Why? Because what this does is, it says to me, devil, you don't fully trust me. 
If you trust me, then you will not sulk because you are homeless for a couple of hours. Boo. <laughs> if you trust me, you will know I have something stored up for you. I knew you were going to be homeless before I laid the foundations of the earth. Because God knows all things that can be known. And that's something he could have known. And in that, what pops up? Whoops, I don't really trust God. Hmm. So he really is patient with me then, isn't he? <laughs> with me distrusting him. What a horrible thing to say. I distrusted God. I was in full-time ministry. I planted five churches for God. I trust God. Really? Well, then why are you sulking? <laughs> Sitting on the steps thinking you're homeless. So I was faced with my own distrust of God. I was faced with my own unbelief. I hope this all comes together. I'm not sure it's working, but Lord, you see, God's Kairos moment, God's opportune time invites us to trust in his wisdom and in his sovereignty. You know all things, Lord. You knew this is going to happen. You knew this sickness is going to come into my life. You knew my child is going to face this. You knew this calamity was coming. Lord, I trust you now that at the opportune time, you will make all things work out for good. Lord, you knew I'm going to run into this family that is breaking up. You knew I'm going to run into a colleague that's addicted to some sort of substance. You knew, Lord, I'm going to come into a place where there's brokenness all around me. You knew it. Lord, for hundreds of years this has been here. I'm, I'm just, I'm not saying that is the case, but. You knew this has been here for, for a lot, many years. Many churches are here. Many missionaries are here. Many pastors are here. Many, what do you call this, charities are here. But Lord, we still see the brokenness. But here am I, Lord. I trust in your opportune time. I trust in your appointed time for me in this place, this time, this moment to make a difference. You have to walk in that faith. You have to walk in that belief. It's only when you walk in that belief that you will see a difference. What will happen? This opportune time challenges us to surrender our impatience and our anxiety and replace it with faith and patience. It's when you surrender. You know best, Lord. So you know I had to move out yesterday. I don't have a place to move to today. You knew it, Lord. Why would I be anxious about it? If God is for me, what can man do to me? You see, we, forgive me, just make sure everybody's awake because I, I'm, I know I'm droning on a little bit. Just look at your neighbor and say, are you awake? Yeah. Just make sure they know where they are just because some think they're in Hawaii, I'm sure of it. <laughs> I know I'm droning on, but I, I really feel on my heart this message just has, I can't stop it halfway. It is when we surrender our impatience. And the older I get, the more impatient I'm getting. Is that normal? Does anybody else feel like that in here? My tolerance level has gone down. <laughs> but it invites me to this place where I can surrender and say, you know best, Lord. You know best. And I'm going to surrender in your timing for me. For this place, whenever, however.
It replaces my anxiety with faith. The fear, anxiety, what a killer. What a killer. But it's because we do not trust God's Kairos moments. Knowing that he's sovereign. He's going to do what he's going to do when he's going to do it. Why? Because it's his heartbeat. This isn't a vision. Nehemiah didn't make this vision up. Nehemiah didn't come up with this God idea. So, woo-woo, look at my vision. Wow. Let's do this. No. When he heard the news, it broke him. He couldn't bear it. As you navigate the seasons of life, and for you as a church, but individually, as you navigate these seasons you go through, whether it's illness, whether it's difficulty in family, whatever it may be, but as a church, as you navigate this new era you're coming into, it is important that you are reminded of God's timing. God's timing. And God's timing, unfortunately, I have to tell you, is as He wills. He's sovereign. It's as He wills. And if He doesn't want to, He won't. And no amount of praying, fasting, spewing, boiling, whatever you want to do. It's not going to change it. Because he's got a plan for Slough. He's got a plan for this church. He's got a plan for you individually. Lord, why are you telling? Why are you waiting? No, I'm not waiting. I'm actually patient with you. Every one of you sitting here this morning, You need to take account and say, am I in the place? Am I the right person? Am I in the right place? If you are, the time is right. And you will see things happen. You will see it happen. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. Did you see that? So Isaiah 55, he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. So, you know, get that into your head. And this is why it's so important to understand the difference from hearing from God and connecting with his heartbeat. Connecting with his heartbeat is connecting with the thoughts of God. So that your thoughts become his thoughts. Right? Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. I love how he switches it around. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, but your ways are not my ways either. Because I think it is. I I have a way to try and manipulate God. Turn his arm. You know, Come on God. You know. We can do this Lord. If only you raise that dead person. The whole city will be for Jesus. Come on Lord. You know it can be done. As the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than yours. My thoughts than your thoughts. The opportune time of God is a testament to his omniscience, his benevolence, his goodness. It reassures us that God is in control. It gives us that assurity that I can rest. He's in control. 
He has time in his hand. He knows when, where, how, who. And that all control is with him. Hello? Uh, for me, this is still an issue because I like to control. Because as long as I can control it, my fears don't pop up. My anxiety don't pop up. And God takes that control from me. I lose control. And now my anxiety pops up. And my fears come up. And what do I do? I run to sport channel and I watch rugby. <laughs> I feel good there. I feel safe there. I don't have to face my anxiety. I don't have to face the fact that I don't trust God enough. I don't have to face the fact that I'm not living by faith as I should. I don't have to face the fact that I'm not in the word as much as I should be. I don't have to face the fact that God's heartbeat is not my heartbeat. I hide. I saw, and, and I believe this is for you as a church, when we were singing that song, maybe we can put it back on, um, I speak Jesus. I speak Jesus. I saw this picture of Moses at the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his guys coming. Red sea, Red sea? Is it the Red Sea on that side? Where to now? We're doomed. I mean, if it was me, I would have been like, I made a mistake. Why did I come here? There's a cliff on that end, enemy on that end, the sea on that end. We're doomed. All right, everybody, you know, take out your poison ivy, drink it. Let's all die because, you know, we don't want to fall into the hands of the enemy. That would have been me. But, and as a church, I have a sense that if you're not there yet, you're going to get there. You're going to be in that place where, Lord, if you don't come through for us, we're dead. If you're not there as an individual yet, I have a sense if you're going to stay here, if you say, this is my place, this is, I am the right person at the right place, you're going to come to that place where you're going to say, Lord, if you don't move, I'm dead. It's done. It's game over. And what does God tell him? He says, raise your arm over the sea. Lord, let's be real. That's not going to make a difference. Let's be real, God. How's this remnant of people here going to make a difference to what I've seen out there? You see, this is the sinful human mind. The logic trying to figure it out. How's that going to make a difference? How's this church going to make a difference? How am I going to make a difference? Lord, I'm, you know, I'm talking... Some of you in here are going, Lord, you know I can't even get out of bed in the morning. I'm so, it's too much pain. You know I'm so tired by midday I have to take a three-hour nap. Lord, you know I can't read anymore. Lord, you know where I'm at. I got this doctor diagnosed. I have to, you know where I'm at, Lord. How am I going to make a difference? How's that going to make a difference? Pointing over the sea. And I felt God said, that's exactly where you guys are. Do not look at the action. Do not look at yourself. Do not look at your inabilities. Do not look at your weakness. Look at God's opportune time. God has appointed a time for this place. 
And I believe he's here. You can either partake of it or not. It's your choice. He's patient with you. He's patient with you. That's why nothing has happened yet. Because he's still patient with one or two of you in here. To break through and step out in faith. Like he's patient with me. To break through and say, I won't take this sickness anymore. Or at least I won't let it tie me down. I'm not going to allow this addiction to ruin my life anymore. I'm not going to allow the lack of resources to tie me down anymore. Point the hand. And what happened when he did? What happened? The sea parted. No. A wind came. A mighty wind. Now, that wind was so strong, it blew the path in the ocean. So that's not just a little bit of wind blowing trees down. Do you understand? You know, the, uh, you, you had to hold on to your little lambs and your kids because they would have been taken with. It must have been scary. Imagine being in that. Well, hang on, Moses, don't point anymore, please. Don't point any further. If this keeps going, we're all dead. God is calling some of you. And some of you have raised up. Some of you have risen up. Some of you are pointing. And the wind is coming. And you're like, whoa, I can't bear this. This is too much. How are we going to do this? It's like sticking your head into a beehive. What's in here? God says, no. That wind is going to make you walk through on dry ground so God is going to prepare a way for you on dry ground and it's actually happening I believe it's happening (sighs) hallelujah and then the spirit of the Lord did what the the guardian angel I think the Bible calls it the, 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 the spirit of the Lord went from in front of them to behind them to protect the rear Why? Because what's in front is God. He's given you the promised land. Just get through this. Just push through this. Because once you get through this, you will walk in faith. You will walk with trust in that place that God has given the opportune time, the appointed time to rebuild the walls around you, the people around you, the brokenness around you. Do you hear what I'm saying? Guys, the time is coming when your family will be rebuilt. When those addictions in your families will be broken. You will rise up in a place where the walls are restored. Do you know how long it took Nehemiah to rebuild the wall? 52 days. What? 142 years? And he rebuilt it in 52 days? Are you being silly? Couldn't anybody have done that? Well, no. Do you hear the miracle in this? And this is what I really have for you as a church. Everything was stacked up against him. Yet, in 52 days, he finished it. Boom. And here is what the Bible says. The dignity of Israel was restored. The dignity of Israel was restored. No longer did they have to walk through in exile, feared being killed... And get to a city where they will still be raided. No. Once they got to Jerusalem, the gates will close behind them. And they will be safe. You will come into a place of safety with your family. With your health. With your finance. With this vision God has given you as a church for Slough. For the community. And and 
greater. Hallelujah. Let us, let us sing this song if we can. And, and cry Jesus, call Jesus over whatever it is God has spoken to you. Those of you still awake. The rest of you, wake those up that they can stand up with us. <laughs>